You're listening to the Hard Liquor Hunting Stories Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Bolt Action Coffee, Safari Club International, Calgary Chapter, and Best Seven Barbers. Production assistance provided by Fighting Spirit Productions. Now, kick back with a cold one, relax, and enjoy our show. Welcome, welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Mark. Join with... I'm Blair, and uh, we're joined today with my father, Ian. Happy to be here. Oh, wow. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show, Ian. You had the long struggle of having to raise Blair. (laughs) You had a long drive all the way from Manitoba to Alberta in the midst of winter storms. So very much thank you for being with us today. Today we are without a bartender, unfortunately. We live in a worldwide pandemic, and because of that, well, unfortunately, you can't have people join you all the time. But today we kind of came up with our own concoction. It's a take on a dark and stormy. This is called a fall in stormy. In it, there's some of my uh, my homemade apple cider. It's quite strong. We've got some Canadian club 100% rye going on in this. There's also some ginger beer. And um, yeah, I think there's a splash of lemon juice in there as well. I don't know. I was just kind of shooting from the hip on this it's, one. It's good. Yeah. What do you guys think, It's Ian? really good. Yeah. yeah. You have I like the apple garnish. Yes, yes. Yeah. There's an apple garnish on the top. Um, I sliced this apple a few times, and my wife, Danny, looked at me like, I don't know, like I was mangling something. She said I was cutting the apple all wrong. I had to cut it a different way so that there's a star, and then she didn't like the way I put it in the glass. So if you look at our Instagram page, HLHS Podcast, you can see that I finally sorted myself out, and we actually have a pretty pretty nice-looking cocktail. Oh, I thought you were going to say your life, wife is looking at you wrong because you were actually like eating an apple. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> apple a day. Steve Jobs did that. Look how he ended up. <laughs> He's doing great. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> so, uh, so Blair, Ian, you guys, um, you guys recently took a big trip somewhere. What can you guys tell us about that? Well... We were at home, and I got a call from a very excited son. He had been to a uh, safari club auction, and he had uh, somehow purchased a hunt in Namibia. And he wasn't just exactly clear at the time on the details. Um, might have been a lot of fun at that, that particular event. And, uh, <laughs> he, he seemed to be, you know, it took a follow-up call the next day to see if it was an actual happening. But uh, he invited me along, and, and it was a, just a fantastic opportunity. We had a fantastic time, and we're still having a fantastic time over it because uh, we got to hang his trophies today. Yeah, yeah that, that's what actually brought my dad to Calgary is all my trophies just landed, so he came into town to pick up his. It's so cool when, uh, when your stuff does arrive. You get to take a look at it, and it kind of it serves as, I don't want to say a signpost, but it, it triggers all these memories of the hunt. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And you get to talk about kind of the the whole experience. So, for you guys, I, I don't know. I remember the first time I went to Africa because you see it on TV, and it. I'm I'm not. I think we've talked about this before on the show. How the way that hunting shows make Africa look, it is way different than the actual reality of what going is like. Um, what do you guys say about that? Well, the first thing is we wondered if we had too many clothes. And when we got in Namibia, you know, you think, you know, it's going to be warm. And it was warm, but every airport worker had a toucan. <laughs> yeah, what would it be? It'd be like five degrees Celsius. Out. Oh, Not even be, 10. It'd no, be like 10 degrees. 10 degrees. And they wear toques and parkas. And, 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 and then the real Afrikaners, they just wear shorts. And that's what he said. You got shorts on. He said, that's when it's cold in Afrikaner. How do you know it's cold? So Afrikaner puts on a second pair of shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, you guys were in Namibia with, I think, is it Keeb Safaris? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Kibib. Okay. Because I, I remember I saw them at, a, at, I guess, a convention. or the, It was the Africa show. And I was kind of talking about them. And then we were at the Petroleum Club. And... Man, that was that was a wild night. Oh man, the dinner was fairly well attended in a pretty small place. 
But I think there was a real kind of uh, fatigue that set in in the auction. <laughs> so there were some real steals to be had that I think weren't supposed to be going at that well, point. Well, that's kind of way I got mine at the end. And I I really underbid. And I, I think they made a mistake selling it to me. <laughs> well, uh, as someone who's, who's quite uh, intertwined with the workings of the local Safari Club International chapter, I will say... Yes, that's exactly what happened. But anyway, anyway, we'll we'll leave what you paid out, out of it just for uh, yeah. well for for everyone out there. Anyway, so you guys you guys landed in Windhawk. Uh, where what, what was your journey like over there? It's pretty good. We landed in Windhawk, and we had about an eight hour drive to the the ranch we were hunting on. That, that's one of the things we we just. In North America, just don't realize how big Africa is. Like Namibia is not on a map; does not look very big, and it takes hours and hours, maybe a whole day, to drive the length of it. it they're huge countries. Yeah. Well, that's that's the problem with like our maps are all like yeah, the, sorted. That Africa is way bigger than it looks on a map. Yeah. The projections they use Canada isn't actually as massive as yeah. it looks. It is still massive. Don't get me wrong, but Africa is far bigger than it is projected to be. On was it the Mercadian projection? Yeah, Mercadian. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But the biggest one is it was really, really rural. Like driving through Namibia was like driving through a really dry, arid Saskatchewan. (laughs) (laughs) It's not all flat. Like there's some cool. No, no, sorry. Yeah, I guess less flat. But I meant, I meant, is dead, undensely populated. Yeah. So, so Ian, you, you guys are from Manitoba. Uh, Brand, Brandon area. So for those of you who don't know, I guess that's, that's pretty close to the U.S. border. Yep. Yeah. So not so bad. So uh, how was that for you, that that contrasting experience from what you're used to, to, to going over there? Was it a bit of a, a shock for you or did you see it just as being kind of a, a different color of the same thing? All my uh, whitetail hunting is done in the Lauder Sandhills and it's a sandy, hilly, kind of brushy terrain. So... Much in Namibia, where we were, were hunting, is, is much the same. So that part was, was similar. I come from a farm. We were on a farm, and they had goats and pig, or pigs. They had chickens. One chicken in particular that we wanted to kill every morning at 4 o'clock. <laughs> it was a, every morning right at the door. That was maybe the only down part of the whole trip was that rooster. But... Uh, the sparseness there's just no people you just it's amazing the open space uh the, you know the farms are 20 25,000 acres that was very different where you there'd be a road and you would go a long way before you hit another farm and maybe five miles 10 miles and that was very unusual and of course it's just uh growing up rural i grew up on a farm and you see all the the normal animals in your day on the farm uh, the wild animals we have, you know, you have deer, we have moose and elk in our area. We have you know, not there. You have like baboons running across the road and ostriches going down the ditch. And it's just, just different. It's a little yeah. surreal. Yeah. The, the variety and just the sheer amount of animals that you run into. And yeah. It's, it's just beyond belief. Right. But like for us, I think the, the ranch setting, like the whole time, like Steph and his wife were kind of like, they're kind of like, they were building a new, area with different chalets and they were kind of apologetic about how we were like right next to the barn and the the like the welding shop but that made us feel like at home because it yeah it was just like we were on a farm in manitoba just kind of like somebody invited you to the yeah, farm yeah hut, it felt right? like you were visiting somebody's ranch for for the weekend yeah yeah it's just uh so they i, I think we talked briefly offline about this uh the food you guys were really blown away by the Ooh. food and and Blair next to me, this is not a man who shies away from love of food. And if it's good, <laughs> he'll let you know. Everything we harvested was on our plate the next day. That's that's how it worked there. If you happen to harvest a, a kudu, it was kudu steak the next day for supper. It was that tight. So you got to eat everything that, that was taken in the field. They ate it. Uh, they had 20 plus farm workers. They had 50 um, workers that were uh, contracting, doing charcoal, cutting trees and making charcoal. Everything went to those people for meat. Uh, I, I always remember uh, uh, the one kudu, they were dressing the kudu and our, our head tracker, Danny, I said, Danny, what's your favorite part of the kudu? 
and he just smiled. They don't know a lot of English. He rubbed his stomach and went, the insides. Yeah, <laughs> they the, eat everything. The, the every, every scrap gets used there. I, I remember uh, when I got my kudu, the, the hands, they actually were arm wrestling each other over who got it. And it, it just blew me away because a lot of that, we, we got out the animal here. We leave it in the field, and then you know the odd guy might stand over top of it and wait for some coyotes or something to come in. But they 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 literally do everything. Yeah. And the skill the skill they have, oh. like the trackers, even the, the guys the guys dressing the animal, the butchery. It is just the level of skill is just uh, very very top notch. That, that was unusual for for us because here you you think of knives and then they're they're uh, dressing and caping and butchering many many animals and they just we asked about their knives and they just bought. The cheapest knives they could get their hands on. Yeah, it was like those yellow-handled butcher knives. Yeah, just cheap. It almost looks like a paring knife yeah. that they use. Yeah, and they just sharpened them on a regular bench grinder, and they had a whole pail, like a twenty-liter plastic pail of knives, and they just reach in and all different shapes because they'd been sharpened all different ways, times, and they would use that for a little while. Just throw it in the in the dull pail, grab another one, and that was just constant all day for those guys. Oh man! It, yeah, it was in a, it was a, a very interesting thing to see. So you guys kind of felt at home there, definitely. And so, what was what was the first hunt stock shot like? Well, first one was, uh, Dad. You didn't think you were even you weren't even keen on shooting any animals, and you shot that eland first. Why don't you tell us yeah, about that? Well, uh, we were you know scouting for animals, driving in the vehicle, looking. And a, a small bachelor group of Elan cut across the, the trail we were on. They're, they're and, such a cool animal, aren't they? They're, they're big for, for the listeners. They're uh, be 2,000 pounds. They're the largest antelope uh, uh, species. And uh, you know, they're like the size of a moose or bigger. Yeah, they, they look like a minivan almost. They're massive. Yep. They're and monsters. He said, uh, oh, uh, are you interested in taking an eland? And and in our room, in, in my room, at, back at the at the farm, they had a, a European mount uh, skull, uh, uh, eland, uh, right above the bed, and I really liked it. It looks kind of like a uh, some sort of demon, a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> demon, you know, with the black horns, the lights. And I thought, I want one of those because you know I have little grand nephews and stuff, and I thought I would like an eland. And uh, I said, you know, I'll take, I'll take an eland. And uh, we got out and we stalked and looked and uh, walked maybe half a mile, maybe more through the bush stalking. And all of a sudden we saw the herd. And if you are in partaking that part of hunt, type of hunt, your guide, your professional hunter tells you exactly the animal to shoot. He said, we want to take that animal there. There were six of them. He said, but you have to wait till it steps out. So we weighed it. There was another one stepped out and looked at us, and we weighed it and weighed it. Probably like 30 minutes, minutes. we waited. There's, yeah. there's some real waiting for some of those yeah. shots. Oh, and it's yeah. tense when you're and, waiting. And like finally, it's, it's awesome, though. Oh, yeah. It is. And, you're, you, you, and you just wait, and you don't know if it's going to go out of the bush. In, and eventually came out in a, beside the other one in a clearing and broadside and we were I was lucky enough to make the good shot and it went down and they were really happy because there's a lot of meat on an eland and his his crew there the 70 men that worked around that farm uh all would all get to share in that and we took it back and uh, that was a great hunt it was just kind of eland uh yeah let's try for one so I've uh, I've never eaten eland I've seen a whole grip of them. I've got a few friends who have some very, very nice ones um, in their residence. Uh, how would you guys describe the taste? How does an eland taste? Um, it's that good, eh? It's, no, it was. It was really, it was really tasty. How, how do they prepare it for you guys? I guess is probably a more appropriate question. We had eland question. steaks. We had eland liver, which is really good. Oh, yeah, it was the eland. No, it was kudu liver. We had. Oh, we had kudu, I've had kudu liver. Yeah, because yeah. that's kind of. Uh, that's one it, of the preparations it's, that's their go-to. It, it, it's you know when they when they when they dress it and butcher it, it looks much like roast beef, and I would yeah. say it was like a cross between moose meat and roast beef. Yeah, oh, wow. none, none yeah. other animals have any gamey taste. Not yeah, like no ours. gamey taste at all. I think it's the way they prepare it though, because it's it's shot, it's 
you know, it, it happens so quickly, right? It's butchered up immediately. Where it's yeah. fresh, fresh. Yeah. I recall there's a lot of times here where guys think you have to hang your deer forever yeah. and ever and ever. And once I stopped doing that and started just butchering same day, I noticed I stopped having or experiencing off flavors in some meat. I don't know if you, that's the same. Well, that's how they or? prepare it there. They just cut it fresh and they just get it. We were cooking on a barbecue over really hot coals. And they uh, yeah, just yeah. South quit. African or sorry, South African braai. Or African briar, rather. Like, yeah. that is that is cool to yeah, see. Yeah, they just right over coals, like a couple minutes on one side, a couple minutes on the other, serve it rare, don't ask for anything better, and that's, it's good. It's so, really good. So, do you guys kind of find it strange? Because um, I, did, I did it the first time I was in Africa. You you make the shot, and that's where, when you're big game hunting, the work really starts. Yes. And mm-hmm. I go up, I'm all kind of keen to get my hands dirty, and... The PH I'm with goes, no, 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 Mark, you are on holiday. <laughs> That's right. And I was kind of, what? Well, well let's go down here. And then he, he well, passed me uh, a Coca-Cola and a cider. And then he got on his phone and an army of hired hands came out. Was that kind of your guys' yeah, experience Yeah, a as little well? bit. And actually, that, that our first day of hunting after Dad shot the Zealand, we went and we ate lunch and... Then we were driving and we saw a big kudu and it was moving. Same day. So like you guys Same day. So you guys day. hit the Eland and then see and the Then kudu. we went for lunch and then like that oh, afternoon okay. we were driving out to a spot where we were going to go hunt and we saw it as we were going to this spot. Like just randomly. So so were you guys out for kudu that day as well? Yep. Yeah. It was the first day? Yeah, it was the very first day. And we go and the PH was we, the kudu went in the bush and we kinda there was this cut line and he thought it was gonna cross and he started like setting up the sticks and, and all this and and then all of a sudden, it just came out, and I just shouldered it. It shot it and dropped it. And the best part of this is after Ian, we... Ian, can you confirm that? Because I've seen Blair shoot lots. <laughs> I shot great in Africa. That was some of the he, best shooting that, I've ever done. That's, when it was all said and done, I think we took seven animals? Seven, eight, yeah. Seven animals. And that's the, the PH said, uh, Steph, the PH said, you know, we didn't need a single second shot on any of those animals so yeah he did shoot yeah well. what made me feel good is after you shot that eland and dropped it and i shot the kudu our our guide stopped he had a little remington like like short barrel remington rifle he stopped carrying that with him because i think he well i don't have to do any like mercy shots or follow-up chase so he that made me feel real good that he kind of like oh these guys can shoot enough that i don't have to carry this but, but right when we shot that kudu it, the, the funny story is we had we were it was kind of it, it, I shot it, then it kind of crashed into some like real thorny willows. Oh, yeah, yeah, those spikes yeah. That, that look like they're something that Kiss would wear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And we had to clear out the bush. And Dad asked for one of the machetes. And Dad was like cutting some of the branches out to drag. And the PH and his wife thought that was so funny. They were like taking pictures of Dad. Like, <laughs> they're taking pictures of Dad like as he was like cutting branches down because they thought it was funny that one of the clients wanted to like chop down branches. Do, like the, do like the Indiana Jones kind of thing? <laughs> well, and... Do like we do at home. Yeah, exactly. You, you get something and uh, you look after it yourself and there you're just supposed to stand and take pictures. Yeah, you feel a little guilty though when all, like, all these guys are doing all this work and you're just standing there. Yeah. That That's something I could say that was interesting is and and... I think all good PHs do that. They're, after after the animal's down and dead, they are very careful to take very good shots of the animal. They work very hard to make the animal look uh, uh, good in the pictures and for the hunter to be presented in a good light in the pictures. And, and they, you know, it, it probably took 20 minutes to half an hour to set up some of the shots on a big animal like a kudu or or a elan. They they are great photos though. Yeah, like there you don't get the sense that it's an animal that's been slaughtered. It yeah, just and they make of, sure to clean the blood off and yeah, like it's that. It, they they sanitize it and I think that's uh, that's that's a certain reverence to yeah, the animal. They they really right? uh, they really do a good job. And then they have uh, uh, the one thing that was different than what we do here is. Uh, they don't field dress the animal. They load it up and take it back and and do it at least at, at where we were hunting. They take it back and they dress it completely at at the farm. Okay, so I've, I've seen it done in, in the field. Okay. Um, I know some places they don't do that. I think it depends on the predators kind of in the area. So the first time I saw one of the, uh, I, I guess they call them the local guides or trackers, do... do um, well, well, field dressing. He made an incision that was probably about four inches long, 
So it was just about a hand, well, maybe just a hand span. And he got all the innards out just through that little four inch hole. And I don't know how he did it. And when they loaded the animal up, just because it was so big, they wanted to reduce some of that weight because we were just, some of, the, some of their hunting wagons are awesome. Like they, they really make me kind of change my conception of what an ideal hunting vehicle is. I don't, I don't know if you guys had like a winch on the front yeah, and well, the back. And then there's like that frame setup that they have. And they're pretty agile little vehicles with really yep. good lift. Oh, we were in a little really Hilux tires. and it made me wish we could buy Hiluxes in North America. 100%. Yeah, they're they're really handy, and you you don't think some of these vehicles can handle the animals and the train that they do, but they just go everywhere. As you, you were talking about shooting, uh, we didn't take our own rifles. That uh, we took, uh, we used the, the the one that the PH had. Yeah, yeah, three hundred yeah, yeah, Mag. The, the guide was, guns, yeah. Yeah, it was he had a, a Seiko three hundred. Yeah, mag. Seiko three hundred Win Mag, and it had a suppressor, which you know it. Uh, really helped with with recoil. Uh, your t- shots were uh, much much uh, more accurate. I think is probably why. And it was a heavy out. rifle. It was probably like twelve or thirteen yeah. pounds because he'd filled the butt of the rifle with lead. Yeah, they have those uh, compensator. It was like liquid lead in a tube. Uh, mercury. Yeah, you mercury. Can see sorry, mercury. Yeah, mercury. it's an old shotgunner thing. Like I know you can buy those tubes. Yeah. And um, man, I've never shot a three hundred Win Mag where. I could shoot and keep my eye and keep a sight picture in the scope after shooting 300 wind make like it was a video game. And I was like, man, that's great. Well, I think the modern convention here especially is you want... Everybody I, wants I, light rifles here. I don't know if it's everybody wants them, but it's just what the market's producing. Because yeah, yeah. you, you got to carry it around all day. And then some of these guys who hunt up in up in the mountains, sheep, etc., like they'll have lightweight, like six and a half, seven, seven pounds. I might be incorrect about that, but like 700... No, oh, that's sorry, it. Seven, like, uh, seven, seven pounds is considered like, like seven millimeter what your rifle needs to be. Remington 700s that are just, and that to me is a little, I don't know, it's just whatever you need, right? Did, did you guys carry your rifles all the way? Or did you have a, did you have a gun bearer? Like no, old school we carry, we carried it. Oh, he, right, he made right. us carry it, yeah. yeah. That's great. But we, we totally went hunting. We only had one. We hunted like two guys, one rifle the whole time. Well, that's awesome. So you guys got uh, an Elan and a Kudu first day. First day. First day. And a Zebra. And a zebra on day one as well. Oh, so yeah, got the zebra the first day too. <laughs> yes, zebra, zebra, however you want to say it. So there's two kinds of zebra. We got so Hartman's. Hartman's. So there's Hartman and there's Birchall zebra. I think Hartman zebra has solid lines and it's solid the Birchall zebra. The, the Hartman's like the classic zebra, what everybody pictures that you see on like your cartoons. And the Birchall has like a, a shadow stripe. Yeah, it's kind of uh, on, on the inside. I've got one we'll, we'll peek at okay. in, a, in a little bit here for sure. But So you guys got three animals on your first day. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and Yeah, it was, and it was fantastic. And then uh, we got, then you got uh, the Impala, which yeah, was a nice Impala, Impala the next day. Wait, wait, can I, can I just pause you guys right yeah. there? Tell me about the zebra hunt, because zebra, they're pretty cagey. Yeah. You know what? That is the shocking thing about, about the zebra is... Everybody, you think they're black and white. Oh, how, how can they be hidden? How could they be camouflaged? But the stripes breaks up their silhouette. And we had a couple times where we saw a zebra that like runs out like like later in the hunt after we after this hunt, where the pH pointed them out, and I'm like, where? And he's pointing right to them, and it took me like minutes to see them. And once you see them, you got them, but just that stripe pattern does so much more camouflage than you think. It takes a second to kind of train your game eye for Africa. Yeah. It takes a few... Well, you're, you're out there for hours anyway, so you kind of get used to it pretty quick. But when we got the zebra, it was a, a really rocky area. Like, I think it used to be... A, like, there was a bunch of wash. Like, on the ground, there was little fossilized shells. Like, so it had been like a like a washout in a rainy season. So you guys are talking about this rocky ground. Um, in my experience, there was opportunities for zebra... But the pH mentioned, well, the ground's not ideal because they want to preserve the hide. Was that something for you guys or uh, we, wasn't really a consideration? Or? I saw actually saw the zebra first before the pH, and that, that made me happy. And I was like, there's one. I can tell you kind of got this shit-eating grin right now. <laughs> there's, always, there's always a good uh, it's always a good feeling, though, when you, yeah. when you see something before the professional hunter, right? Yeah. It, no, it was rocky. Like, it was ankle, ankle roll. Was it terrain. flat? Was it kind of on an angle? It was pretty flat, and it was a real flat shot. Like, it was, what, 100? 150? Yeah, 150. 150? Yeah. yeah. That was, was that about standard for a lot of your guys' shots? The Eland was maybe 175. The ostrich, we stepped it out, was 140. The zebra, 150. Oh, man, you guys had really good opportunities. I remember oh, yeah. I got told before I went, ah, oh, 
100, 150 max. I think the shortest shot I took was like 250. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's some good, sh- that's far shots. But yeah, the best part of shooting the zebra is uh, PH had this little dog. What was the what was the breed, Dad? It was a Yacht Terrier. Yacht Terrier. Which is a German hunting terrier. They were originally, I think, the German uh, people developed it in the 1930s and uh, based on a fox terrier. Oh, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, a little, like, like a black fox terrier or Jack Russell. And the best part is we shot this this animal, and he was just training this little dog. It was just a pup. It was still like but five, months, five old. months old. And it ran right up, and we followed it right to this zebra. And the best part was he was trying to train it when it finds the animal to bark. And every time we shot an animal, this thing would come up to it, and it would just like relax in the shade of the animal's body. <laughs> And just sit there and like lay down and pant. And he was like, because oh, he was trying to get it to like alert when it found the animal. And he would just like get there and relax. Some some of the skills of those dogs and the terrain and the animals. And it's it's a very unique part of going there and hunting. Because here in Alberta, at least, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Manitoba. When you're hunting big game, you cannot use a dog in Alberta. Except I think the exception is cougar. Yep. Yeah, and and I don't I don't do any cougar hunting, so I can't really comment on that. You can use them for for you, you know upland waterfowl, what have you. But it for me, I, I just thought it was so great seeing the, seeing the dogs work. It's always nice seeing dogs work and do what they're made to do. And, and just to what the dog is for is they're they're there to find the animal because in these types of hunts, uh, if you pay for the animal if if you wound it, yeah. But if there's blood, it's your animal. Uh, whether they find it or not. So they train a dog. They usually have a dog, and this was just a small dog that could ride around in the cab of the truck with you, and uh, they train it to to blood track. So if there's blood, that dog is there to tr- bring that animal or bring you to the animal uh, because if you lose it, I imagine the client would be unhappy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And like I think tracking wounded animals there would be quite a bit harder than what we're used to. Because it's so dry and sandy, and we're used yeah. to like tracking stuff in snow. Well, yeah, there it's a lot of, uh, I guess they call it bare ground hunting. Because here it's a lot of cover ground hunting. Yeah. I know, I can imagine in Manitoba during hunting season, it's, you guys probably dealt with a lot of snow growing up. That's right. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Ian, you probably heard young Blair complain about being cold. Yeah, too cold, Dad. <laughs> things yeah. like that. Oh, it's that cold. I, you know, if you're from Manitoba, I've deer hunted in minus 35. Oh man, I, I remember we went. Out, I remember going out with Blair one time here in Alberta, and we were out in the middle of a blizzard, and then it lifted, and Blair ended up getting his deer that day. I think it was a couple seasons back. Yeah, yeah, a few seasons. Yeah, back. but you know what? It was the only time I think I never heard him complain about the cold because I think he was getting ready, and then he got a deer and forgot about how cold it oh. was. <laughs> that's I, I've yeah. That's that's it's so nice to hunt there. The weather in the winter. It's winter time. We were there at the end of June, July, which is Namibia's weather. It would be seven, five or seven in the morning, and it would warm up to about twenty in uh, in the late afternoon. It was just beautiful weather to walk, and we did a lot of walking. That yeah. was that was one of the things I really liked about Namibia. And uh, when my wife and I went to South Africa, we were kind of expecting, oh, that will be great weather. It won't be that bad. And there was ice in the morning, <laughs> a little bit of frost. But our we liked our guy made sure he's like, oh yeah, pack long underwear, pack toques. But it was still like five degrees. We were fine with maybe just wearing a duke for the morning that was it so how, how long was your guys trip 10 days 10 days 10 days so you got three animals in the first day yeah and when that happened were you guys kind of looking at your wallet looking at your bank oh yeah thinking, oh yeah okay at the end we, of this we're gonna have 30 animals down oh man we'll be just sitting around the campfire back at the cabin there for the next last week or something yeah but uh, some of the animals p- proved a very a more uh, elusive. Uh, the ostrich was a very hard hunt. That was they, the hardest thing to hunt. They are, they are, uh, they are very tricky. Yeah, it was like hunting a really skittish, flighty little house sparrow bird, but that could run seventy kilometers an hour. They're kind of like a dinosaur, though. When you see oh, them, yeah. they are just so foreign. And do I use the word exotic? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah they, they are. are there, there's something else, eh? Hey? That it, was the only animal I missed. So how I you... missed an opportunity at a at an ostrich. Okay, so you guys got the first on, uh, or sorry, you got three animals first day. Feeling pretty good, drilling them all, putting them all down, very ethically getting them. 
So what was day two like? Was day two kind of the reality check of it? No, here it's actually hunting. Yeah, it's not because I think day two we spent the whole day looking for good Impala for me. Yeah, we we were Impala hunting. Then you're down to looking uh, for the animals that you wanted. We were very fortunate in that RPH was a very good judge of of uh, good animals. In Namibia, they have a scoring system, and they have like a, a gold, silver, bronze animal. And he was very good at picking out the gold-sized animals. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I went to Namibia, and I had no clue about this until Blair called me and mentioned it to me. And I was pretty grumpy at my pH after. Because <laughs> I wanted this cool medal that I was going to wear like I was an Olympian or put it around my Did you get a nice certificate that you could put under the, the trophy at home on your wall? That- yeah, like that's what I'm going to do. when we, we just put up the tax me this weekend. I'm going to get a little shadow box with my certificate and my medal to put under each. We'll, we'll talk offline. i got a guy who makes them. That's, okay. that's, that's a cool little thing, right? As well, hunter, it's fun. You, you know, and, uh, our, our pH come remark, he goes, yeah, the Europeans really really like getting the medals <laughs> and he said most north americans are like oh, okay cool but he said the euros really really like the medal system it's not really something here though because i'm always happy hunting here but i just get an animal yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm just happy to succeed that whatever size or score or whatever it is it doesn't really factor into my experience at all and when you go there and i remember being animals like oh i want to take that one and your ph would be like are you, are you sure and it looks like a good animal, but we're the uninitiated, right? Yeah, we don't know. Every animal you see is like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> <they're> amazing! <laughs> yeah. So impala, impala—they like to herd up, right? Yep. So how did you guys go about hunting? Because you know, many lions, they pretty skittish. Like uh, from, we uh, from the ones on I recall foot. seeing, they were just—they would just take off. We were on foot all day. Was just. it was a common impala, a black impala? Like what kind were you guys? Co- going? I think common. it was common impala. Common. Okay. And yeah, we just spot and stalked on foot for the whole day. It was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and we ended up, the Impala you got was a bachelor buck that was laying by itself. Um, they tend to defecate in the same spot. So he would, he you know, he found a spot. That so, where, so you guys went and looked for the uh, Impala Daily newspaper? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> He was like <laughs> squeezing the turds and he's like, oh yeah. There's got to be one here, or if not, he'll be back. So did you guys... Um, when I was in South Africa, they had they called it the Kudu Draw Spa Competisi. We did not do that. You no okay. So for and those, I told my PH that, and he's like, I have never heard of that before. I don't know. It's just a South African <laughs> thing, or it's just something that. So for those who who don't know, uh, apparently the the challenge is you take dried up kudu poop, you drop it in a shot of booze. This is after all the hard liquor and hunting stories podcast, and you you wait for it to kind of. Soak up some of the booze. You do the shot, and then you have a competition who can spit it the farthest. Ooh. So uh, when my outfitter told me this, I thought for sure he was fucking with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he just wants me to eat shit. <laughs> and and I was like, well, show me the ropes, man. I'm new. I don't know what you're talking about. So he goes and does it, and he spit it pretty damn far. And he didn't really let it soak up for too long. And I was there with my wife, and she's. You know, Dan, she's just super embarrassed. She's like, oh, my God, what is this man I married? So I dropped the poo in my shot, and I just let it sit there while I was making eye contact with the outfitter. Like, you think you're going to win this? And so I do the shot, and I spit, and I beat him by, like, maybe two or three inches. <laughs> and I was so pumped. And uh, I think I brought up a similar thing to my PH in Namibia, and he just looked at me like I was the biggest weirdo. Yeah, that's the look I've ever seen. Okay, (laughs) but you know now I kind of I kind of want to force my friends here to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But at least your PH did it first, because if he made you do it first, I'd be really suspicious that this was like a gag that he was pulling on you. Yeah, for sure. I'm so glad you guys asked though, because oh man, I would. You know, you got the father and son competition. Like, Ian, you know, you got to make yeah. <laughs> no, show I, the young lad how it's done. Oh, okay. But, you know, for, for hunting, one of the interesting things was, uh, and particularly Impala, it was my favorite animal because part of, of the enjoyment of hunting for me is, is you know, all the fun's over when you happen to, to kill an animal. But it was the Impala there. They are just aggressive little animals. See, we watched the bucks fighting. Yeah, and we watched to a pair. Buck. We watched a pair of them fight. It was yeah. cool. And try to steal each other's uh, females, and they are j- 
just beautiful jumpers. They can go straight up in the air. What? And you see all that behavior. And, you know, he said, no, none of these are, we're not, we're not taking any of these animals. But it's fun, you know, when you're walking through to watch them. And, and I really, that's, that's why I'm out there. The, the behavior is so cool. And just the amount of animals you get to have eyes on. Oh, it's, it's unreal. It, it is just such a, you know, I'm going to overuse the word fantastic, which is my favorite. And it, it's just unique and amazing to see, right? Yeah. I think the one annoying negative thing I didn't like when we talked about the amount of animals is everywhere we went, there was a type of bird. What do they call I can't go remember. Guinea fowl? They guinea called fowl? it no. They called oh. it uh, the slang name was the go away bird because it had like a weird call where it was like, oh, fuck off, fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it was like that bird was such a narc. That bird because it's like whole job is to like sit on watering holes and like watch for predators and alert. And you'd be creeping along, creeping along, and all of a sudden this bird would be like, fuck off, and you'd be like, oh goddamn bird. Yeah. <laughs> You guys notice, like I always say, you know, we've been talking about this, how just the sheer amount of animals you encounter. Oh. And just because you encounter them doesn't mean it's a gimme. No. No, no. We, I went, I tried to get a, I didn't get a blue wildebeest. I tried to get a blue wildebeest when I was there and I, I failed. We didn't get it. And I don't know. We stalked one for a long time, like slow, like probably an hour, over an hour, like real slow crawl. And it. We never really kind of got close enough to the, it to get the, a shot. It got yeah, away. They're pretty cagey. You got to really send it from afar. And then when you're doing that, so much can go wrong. And um, yeah, yeah, they're a tough animal. They're very cool. Though. Oh, man. The, the wildebeest, they're uh, called the jokers of Africa. That's what our guy told us because they don't ever run, just run. They're always kind of jumping and Yeah, they had like a weird little dancey jump, jump they did. They, they just don't put their, maybe if they were being truly chased by a predator, they'd put their head down and go straight. They just kind of caper around. Yeah, it was weird. They they're they're weird cool. Little, like a, even the blue wildebeest, they have those stripes in them. Yeah. yeah. They're very subtle. And there's so many of these stripes that you don't really understand you don't really see or you don't really conceive until you're right up on the animal you just think kind of kind of think they're full well, they're a real like beautiful animal beautiful too animal. like you don't think wilderbees you think oh it's just like a big stinky cow animal they were gorgeous animals so you guys got sorry let me let me see if i can keep this straight so elon kudu uh impala and then you're after a blue wildebeest but no joy sorry. on that and then uh, zebra zebra oh sorry there. sorry yeah so and then four. the next day we spent half our day going after the wildebeest, which we didn't get. And we spent a lot of time going. We spent probably easily two days trying to get an ostrich. <laughs> so they're they're cagey, and, oh, I, I, and I and I feel you guys on that one. So the uh, so I got so I got to ask Gamsbach. So they're one of these animals. Like I, I'll fully admit, I didn't know all these animals existed. In Africa, you know, everybody knows the the common ones you, you grew up with in the kids' book. Everybody knows what a wildebeest yeah. is. I didn't know there was all these types of wildebeest. You know, a zebra, zebra. But you I know, didn't realize there was two different types of zebra. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. And it and it and it's really kind of uh, I don't know. There's a degree of humility there. It shows you a lot of what you don't know about the world that you think you already kind of assume you know. And for going to Africa, like the fact that there's there's even different kinds of kudu. Oh wow, like, yeah, no. So Gemsbach for me though, uh, they were an animal that I was really, uh, I was wholly unaware of them. And then the first time I, I saw one, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And I hear, I hear you guys also had a, a Gemsbach experience. Well, what I, day, what day was that? Was that after you guys had some ostrich? Uh, yeah, we've had, we had some ostrich ostracizing fails. you. And no, no, we'd had a few failed stock on ostrich. And then we were going for the Oryx. And I think our guide was getting... Really Oryx, Gemsbach, or Oh, yeah, or, sorry. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our and guide I, called them Oryx. But Gemsbach, Oryx, I believe, are the same animal. They are. Yeah, I think it depends on uh, your background. So if you're yeah. more uh, Anglophone, it's it's Oryx. Okay. And, and if you're uh, Afrikaans, Dutch origin, they say Gemsbach. Okay. So I could be wrong. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we'll see the comments in the hate mail. But anyway. <laughs> sorry, Kara. I, yeah, he was getting frustrated because we hadn't really seen any Oryx. Uh, and... He, you could tell he was getting frustrated because he was like, where are the oryx? And then finally, that was the first animal that we took out of a blind. Because we, we, we might have a pretty animate that we wanted to do like a, like on foot, spot and stock. Like that's what we wanted to hunt. But that was the one where we'd looked for it long enough. We're like, hey, we'll, we'll get in a blind. And he had, uh, 
he had these blinds set up with these uh, like water holes that yeah. were yeah yeah mostly yeah. set up for yeah, guys they, that came with bows. They almost look like a fountain. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. They're like a cool water feature that somebody with a fancy backyard would have, right? And we hung out there all day. We got to see the giraffes come into the watering hole. That was a lot of fun. That was oh, they're they're cool. They're a neat animal, hey? When they when they run away, I like it when they're spooked because they look like they're running in slow motion. They're so gangly. Yeah, but they the ground they cover in that slow-mo run. I always liked when 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 like a lot of the animals come in like the giraffes that you could see the male like hiding out in the trees and he'd send his female to the watering hole first. <laughs> well, he sat in the yeah. trees and watched to make sure the hey, coast man, was check clear. Out this place is cool. I don't want to be stuck going to a place that's lame. <laughs> we were but, 20 yards from the from yeah, the from, giraffes drinking. Oh, very cool. Oh, so, yeah. so you guys were there in drought season because yeah. you guys were there just a just yeah. I don't know probably a week or two after I was and it was amazing. Like they go through a five year drought circle. Yeah, they go like cycles of like five year droughts and then they have a big rainy season and then. So, the the, the uh, it's unfortunate we went to the national park there and the big lake was completely dry. It was the uh, the Ocean Pan, Pan, I think. Yeah. yeah, and it was like a giant salt flat, and the animals in the park were. Real skinny, like yeah, you can see all their rough. hip bones and stuff. Well, they had the water holes were all man-made, and they were actually pumping. They were trucking water in, weren't Truck, they? Yeah, yeah. They were pumping and trucking so that the waters, the animals had water to drink. What's uh, what's that plant? Do you guys remember the name of it? They have this plant that's got like thirty foot roots that oh. grows out because it's such a weird place. You go there. Well, I don't want to say it's in the sense that you will see desertification everywhere, but then all the plants are green. Do you guys yeah. notice that yeah. that the foliage yeah, would be green? Just, they're hardy. Yeah, and, and I got told it's because they have very, very deep roots, so they, they can access all this groundwater and moisture. And then some of it was just natural climate cycle, and then other parts, I guess, overgrazing. I don't know if they mentioned that to you guys in some of the zones. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah but, but the animals there are adaptive. Like, they have those really thorny trees where they have thorns that are like an inch, inch and a half long. Well, and there's like, we're watching, like we were watching some springbok. Eat, eat the little leaves and this whole tree is like thorns and there's these little tiny leaves and this this little gebsbuck is sticking its little tongue out and pulling off leaf by leaf in between the spikes and you're like well I think gebsbuck means desert warrior and I oh, think in North America there's actually a breeding population I think it's either in New Mexico Utah or Arizona Texas I thought well you know what well I'm sure there's game farms that have them there but I know there's uh, oh maybe it's Arizona you know I'll have to double check I guess I could get Brooke Because there's a wild out, population somewhere in the U.S., right? There, there are, yeah. They introduced them just to have a, have some bigger game in the area. But, like, so you guys saw all these animals. You wanted one. They are so cool. Tell me about the hunt. Oh, the, the oryx? They were, that was the one that we were sitting in there. We sat there all day watching, watching. And so we you, were, saw, you saw giraffes come in. Saw giraffes. Wart, we saw all these other animals hogs. came in. Yeah. Other, like, it, warthogs. It's, so it was the desire to kind of snap something during the day quite yeah, yeah. we sat for probably three hours and we we were just about to pick up and leave and then we were like we were kind of sh- like we're losing our quiet we're shuffling around we're just about to get up get, get uncomfortable like we're peeing in the bottles because it was at the point and yeah then we were just about to get up and leave then all of a sudden like me and dad were standing up and the ph is like he motions for us to sit down and we saw this uh oryx come in was it was it just was it just him or did he have a mate? I can't I, remember. I think it was just him. Just I so. think he was alone. He just came in alone into into the watering hole. And it it was a close shot. We were in this blind and I, I don't know, 50 yards? Yeah, that would be what it yeah, would be. Yeah, it was about 50 yards and he did, did stand much of, much of a chance there. My experience in Africa is when they put you in a blind, they put you in these like cheap dollar store chairs. <laughs> I don't know if the yeah. is the same for you guys. <laughs> Where I was kind of concerned that if I shot a rifle from this chair, it would snap into a zillion pieces. <laughs> and like, I would miss. I, I stood up. And, I stood up because I didn't, I don't trust the chair. Yeah. We, you, you stood up to shoot in those blinds because they were designed for bow. So you know, was it corrugated kind of, kind of tin? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And it was sunken. It was like you stepped into it. It was like dug down. Yeah. Okay. So you, you stood and and that if a bow, a, someone shooting a bow would stand. Uh, they wouldn't sit to shoot. It's just that more accurate. Yeah, the mechanics stand. just don't work. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was a, a great hunt. I and uh, the, the oryx was very nice to get. He was very happy to get one because that uh, it, it was the only one we saw the whole time we were there. Oh wow. Other than in the national park, yeah, we the, saw a lot in the in the, the national park. They but. they are elusive. I think it took uh, it took me five days. To, to get mine, 
um, in the concession I was in. I saw them. Don't get me wrong. Did no, I no, fail? Sh- not yeah. these, no shooters? Well, uh, I, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, okay. that's tale for another day, <laughs> perhaps offline. But yeah, yeah, I was, I was pretty bummed out a few times for sure. So you guys got that one after doing uh, a nice sit. What was next? Oh. You guys got the you guys Actually, got the Gemsbach slash Oryx. Oryx. What was the next thing? You got then to be the ostrich. Yeah. Then we spent a, we spent but we spent a day before that looking for ostrich. But yeah, then we just looked went for ostrich all day, and I missed ostrich twice before I got my ostrich. They're they're kind of a strange animal, and I had uh, you know I'm gonna repeat a question I had asked me on uh, on an interview I was in. Why shoot an ostrich? They're tasty, tasty. Oh, yeah. And I thought that, too, because it just came with the, the hunt package I bought. It was ostrich. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll shoot an ostrich. It's on the package. Well, me, but, I'm, a, I'm a bird and waterfowler here, so I just saw that as the extension of taking the king of but birds. But you know what? <laughs> they were hard to hunt because they were flighty. Like, they didn't do the pause where a lot of big game will, like, if you make a noise, they'll stop and try to, like, figure out. before Because yeah. they don't want to leave where they are. They'll try to figure out what made the noise. Bird it. Yeah, and they'll and stay. yeah, but they just run like they don't they don't care what the noise was. They're just they'll just run away about it. So I I know a lot of um, ostrich. You got to kind of hunt them in this chest deep bush. Was that the same experience for you guys? Well, not really. We had one. I I missed one shot at an ostrich because they were about two hundred, and I was watching them, and they were all grouped. He this one male was grouped up with these females, and I was watching them right through the scope. And I kept watching them till the male would like branch off so I could get shot in it. But I'm looking through the scope and you you lose depth perception when you're looking through the scope. And I guess I thought they were walking horizontal to me, but they were walking on an angle away. And when I finally got him clear and took a shot, I didn't realize that he was like 450. Because <laughs> I'd been following him for like a long time. And then I took the shot, and I shot right underneath him, and then we lazed it. And I was like, oh, I had no idea he was 450 away, because I just had, like, scope tunnel vision. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same experience with my ostrich. I am not the most stable platform standing, for obvious reasons, for those who know me. Um, and the PH was just insistent that, no, you, got, you had to shoot from standing. And I just, you know, you, you, you got to kind of follow their knowledge. Yeah, well, they, okay. they're the experts. But uh, it did not work out for me. So then I ended up being being able to take a shot later that I was more comfortable with. But yeah, ostriches, man. Like it was something that ostrich and kudu, in my experience, I don't know if it was the same for you guys, was something that you're always on the lookout for. And you have to take the opportunities when they're there. Because the yep. kudu is the gray ghost. And your guys' experience with the ostrich, and even Gamswalk is kind of analogous to how these animals can just disappear. Here, yeah. And it's, they're very colorful animals, and you're like, how are these animals so camouflaged? It's amazing. Well, and like, when I, when I used to have all these different hunting channels, you'd watch hunting in Africa, and I, I, know, I hate to say these hunting channels are just infomercials. They're infomercials for products. Yeah, some of them kind of feel that way, right? But you'll see a show where a guy's hunting for like two weeks or a week, you know, 10 days in Africa, and you're watching, there's, you know, the show's maybe 11 to 15 minutes of content, and there's 24 trigger pulls in that and it just and, and then it looks too easy yeah it looks too easy and then you go and you realize oh well this is a marketing tool because they're selling they're selling that shot right like they're selling we'll put you in that position and it took me going to Africa to kind of realize what those shows were about no, and it's real hunting it's no different than hunting here it's the well, same well don't get me wrong there are experiences where I would I would you know, there's been products that have come out over the last few years. I think CNN did that film Trophy. I don't know if either of you guys have seen it. No, I have. Where they, there's some places where you can go where you're essentially just doing a canned hunt and maybe a... Well, yeah, like in, our, our in pH... Less than a square kilometer. But yeah. that, that is not all hunting in Africa. Yes, that is you not can. That's like our pH said, like there's spots in South Africa. If you want to shoot a lion that they just let into a slightly bigger cage... You could do that. He, he, he said they call those shampoo lions because <laughs> they're raised in captivity for people to shoot. And and you know what? If that if that works for some people, hey, Good. why yeah. not? That's uh, that's that's not me. But you know what? There's there's kind of an opportunity for everybody there because some of these some of these ranches or concessions you go into, they are massive. Massive. I never felt that we were not having a fair chase ever. They are twenty five thousand acres. They, I think. Steph's farm where we were, he had 7,000 acres in one parcel and then another 15 in another parcel. How many square miles is that? 
Okay. Oh, it's probably. These are both like kind of engineers, so, you know, so killer s- at Just roughly, say, 600 per section. So 600 into 7,000, so it'd be like 10 sections. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that was the one parcel. And then the bigger parcel would be 20 sections. Yeah, so anybody says it's not fair chase, like, what size of the property do you hunt here in North America? <laughs> Probably smaller than that. <laughs> yeah, like, I've, I've been on some pretty small properties where the big challenge isn't necessarily the animals, it's the access. Yeah. And yeah. It, 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 definitely. So you guys got your ostrich after a bit of a struggle. Was that the last animal you guys took? No. Nope. I nope. took a zebra. Uh, I, I got one. And, uh, and then I spent a long time, I wanted a springbok. I, 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 you know, we had springbok, but um, at, they were extremely flighty, uh, fast, and fast, fast. Mm-hmm. fast. Uh, wow! And, and they were broken up into small herds. He felt that there was a well, there was a some sort of larger predator because we did see his uh, an ostrich with a tore up neck. Oh, and yeah, we saw. Like, a he felt run. that there was likely a cheetah on the farm, and that it was uh, putting the run on his on the on the uh, spring box. So, so, were, so were these common spring buck or like, I know there's different types. There's like a, there, I don't know. There's like a dark, like all, you know what? It escapes me because I've had way too many of these cocktails right now. <laughs> Usually I have a more firm grasp, but, but there's, there's several different types. Are you guys going for the common? I think it was common. Yeah, it was common. The white white but okay. yeah, we looked and we worked up on a, we got, we had a, we had a stock on them that we waited, like stood still beside trees for like an hour watching them. And, we watched that herd to see, and there, there just there wasn't any rams there that RPH felt comfortable with us shooting for a trophy. And we probably looked for a springbok for like a day and a half. There was a couple times where, I, if I was you, Dad, I would have shot. I think uh, I think you were a little bit a little hesitant. Well, I I particularly they have such a beautiful beautiful hide. I I wanted to make a good shot on one, and not uh, have to. Uh, they're a small animal, and I wanted a good shot on a, on a good springbok. And again, never really saw one. Uh, we were in a blind, and they came in one time, but the, uh, there was nothing there that he felt that was that he was comfortable letting us shoot at. Um, he had uh, the same with the uh, uh, the wildebeest. He, he was very particular about the animals, which is a measure of conservation. He was yeah. looking to take certain animals uh, and leave others uh you know for, yeah, to, d- to, develop, to develop right yeah. yeah and and for you know oh. to, to continue the animals uh and and to continue uh, for the next hunter well and, and, and to that same like spirit we put a stock on three times on dad was going to take they had a cull kudu there where it had a, a drop Horn, oh, where the whole its whole left shoulder was chewed up because every time it turned its head its own it was horn kind of- was like Cutting it up. So, are you are you guys fans of the atypical animals? I know some people just love them, and other people are just well. They're, for they're mutants, keep away <laughs> from me. Well, well this for this a... hunt, yeah, the this this he because he had a raw wound on his shoulder from his horn, like that was it was a cull. But we stalked that same one three times over the ten days we were there, and it was hard to stalk because it was wounded. It was so flighty, like it didn't like. Said, well, sometimes they'll stop and look to see what they think the sound is. This one didn't wait, it just heard a sound and ran as hard as oh, it could, man. like it knew it was wounded, right? That would have been a really, uh, really interesting. Did you guys get any photos of that at all? Or no, 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 we didn't. No, we, we saw it three times and we went after it three times and it disappeared on us three times. Three times, and we tried hard yeah. and we're like, I don't know, it was the best crawl we could do. To try to get it. I was really lucky on all my hunts. My wife has been armed with a camera with a really great lens. (laughs) That's really good photos. And it's nice to have successes and failures. (laughs) You know, the the life of a PH must be interesting. All the different clients from all over the world. Uh, You know, our first day, he picks us up at the Windhoek Airport. He doesn't really know what he's getting. You can tell because they're like a little like, they write like, a little bit of like light small talk, like just try to gauge you. Like, yes, yes, okay, how's it going? Yes, yes, cool, yeah, cool. Gig, like, so, let's uh, gauge who these guys are, right? Yeah, but, yeah. but you guys notice, like, um, I kind of noticed this as well. There's a certain, I don't want to say there's a reverence, but they, uh, there's a certain, I don't know, I don't want to say je ne sais quoi. They, they really like Canadian hunters. Okay. Did you guys get that experience? Yeah. Did you guys notice that? I think you yeah, did. Yeah, because they got right before us, the clients that they'd had was uh, father and son from Saskatchewan. 
Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. They, he seemed to, he was talking them up the whole, like, ride, the ride when he picked us up from the airport, he was well, telling you, us. Well, you know what, because he's, he's trying to kind of flex on you guys. Well, these guys from Saskatchewan. Oh, no, that's exactly <laughs> the whole drive back you know, from the airport. No, you're all from Manitoba, but, so he's yeah, yeah. politely chirping. You know, he, trying to he up gets the in, you know, he, they don't know what type of person. Do they, he, he's probably wondering, do they know which end of a gun to pick up? Uh well, they definitely get clients like that, though. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. When we, we cited in our... Tell the story of us yeah, we, we're in our citing rifles. in the, the, the rifle. So he drives us out to his range, and the target's 100 yards, and it's a, probably a... Like a box or something. Uh, crap, no, it's it? a no? target. It was oh, a, okay. Yeah, awesome. This nice. was like a two-foot by two-foot with the bullseye and the whole nine yards. And, you know, Blair takes three shots, and he was uh, to the, the left of the bullseye, uh, you know, probably an, an inch or two to the left and an inch high. So you guys dialed in the dope and then, well, no, we, we, oh, then we then gave, he, cause we're using the th- same th- rifle. Th- then he says, okay, I want you to shoot. So I shot three and I shot and I was almost mirror image, but low to the right. Like just like just off. our, just our shooting posture. Yeah. You know, and, and everything was within an inch. Blair was, uh, High left uh, and three shots within an inch, and I was uh, low right. And uh, we said, "Well, are we going to do some more shooting? Dial in the, the scope." He goes, looks at us, just deadpan. He goes, "I get guys here that can't hit that paper." Oh, <laughs> wow. yeah. He showed. But is he saying that, or is he? Is no, he, is he your I believe it because when we we had a really long wait in a blind with nothing. And he starts showing us some pictures to, to buy the time. And he showed us one, I think it was an Impala, that some Spaniard shot. And I'm looking. Spaniard! Yeah, pretty much. Sorry, I just. No, every no. time I hear that, I just. And I'm looking at the picture and I'm counting and I'm like, I'm counting five bullet wounds in that picture. He goes, No, he shot it seven times. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how a person could shoot an animal the size of an Impala with a 300 win make seven times. So, uh,. Blair, you and I know somebody who thought um, shooting an animal several times, there was nothing wrong with that. And you'll recall they will remain aimless, but... They remain aimless, but yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. If, you're, if your accuracy, your skill, and your sending it is that poor, um, you need to take up knitting or something well, else. No, not not can... that there's anything against knitting. Knitting is very useful. And if you can afford to go on a hunt in Africa... You should be able to afford some, to spend some time at the range. Absolutely, do lots of shooting. <laughs> I think uh, before I went the first time, I did I did a ton of shooting. I brought my own rifle the first time, and I think my experience of bringing my rifle, I think uh, I think I shared that with you, and you were like, yeah. okay. I didn't want to because uh, I don't know. Didn't you get a little bit of shakedown at the airport a little bit? I was saying I got shook down, but they definitely made it aggressively unpleasant, <laughs> and not just uh, not just the local authorities, but also our local authorities really. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say they had a duty to me, but they really left me hanging. That left me a little concerned. But so I think I think we're coming near. I'm just going to look at Brooke right now, and we're coming near the end of our time here. Oh man, we could keep talking about this for like three hours. Well, one, one of the things, you know, people- you, you know what, we can keep talking for longer. Um, I, I try to keep it to an hour, but I will say this: your, your guys' experience in Africa, like. Um, how, how, how would you define it overall? Would you recommend it? Like. Ian is a long-time Canadian hunter. How, how would you describe it? How would you how would you characterize it for those who have not been? All right. The hunt was definitely fair chase. More fair chase than I expected. Uh, where I, you know, I grew up on a farm. Uh, I know the neighbors. Or I, you know where every animal lives. So it, going hunting, you're, it's not the same. Here, you know, it was unfamiliar territory, a big area to cover, and uh, you really didn't know what you were going to hit and what you're going to come across. So it was, uh, the other with Namibia is there's lots of other things to do, interesting things to do. Yeah. We went to the national park. We saw the world's largest meteorite, which that was, was cool. pretty cool. Engineer guy. Yeah. He was like all over that. Let me uh, use some calculations. <laughs> <laughs> they had a big, uh, they took us to the scene of a, a, a major World War One battlefield between the Germans and the English where the Germans were losing and dumped all their artillery into the lake. Yeah, that was uh, cool. Yeah, it was a lake with just artillery in the lakes because the Germans didn't want the Brits to have Well, it, it, is, a, it is a former German colony, former yeah. German yeah. Southwest Africa, the Caprivi Strip. Yeah. Uh, and it was done in an exchange of rather greasy, we know geography and you don't. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was an interesting place to go if you had your spouse... Uh, that may, or someone in the family that wasn't uh, uh, 
that interested in hunting, there's certainly other things to do and see. And yeah, like I honestly think you could go hunting there and bring your whole family, and there'd be enough to keep your, I, uh, everybody busy. I know, I know people who do, and I, I got to ask this though, and uh, I kind of got bit with it on my first trip. You guys say you have the Africa bug. Yeah, the whole flight back we talked about. We're we're starting to plan when we're coming back. <laughs> Blair asked if all he can tell you how to immigrate to Namibia, how to buy farmland in Namibia. You have to be a Namibian citizen. Blair was like, he said, I'd live here. Yeah, but I found out that they don't let, uh, I couldn't go there and buy land anymore. I would need to have uh, uh, like a local black partner to buy the land with me. That's well, their new rules. The one thing I will say about Namibia is um, I felt very safe there. Oh, yes, extremely safe. A lot safe. of places I've been in, um, there, there was just kind of this vibe there of everybody working together. Um, the food was phenomenal. Uh, we got taken to a few restaurants. I don't know if you guys did that as well. You were there. We we went to a restaurant once. Yep, which just it was, once. But you know, the hospitality was just was just awesome. Yeah. And there were parallels to here. A little <laughs> it bit. Just, yeah, it was just like a it little. felt a little rural. And I will say that there's people out there like we we meet my my dad. Me and I thought about of all his like brothers and my uncles. And there's this thing that you think that like hunting in Africa is for like the elite, and it's very much within reach and in a comfort zone of like any regular Joe hunter the, in Canada. The common can, man can do it. And, and um, yeah, and you'd feel at home. Like you're not going to feel like a fish out of water. Like if if you want them to wait on you hand and foot, they will. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can just go and bump elbows and hunt just like you would in Canada. So as hunters, do you guys feel like you developed and learned a lot as a hunter going? Oh, yeah. Like Ian, you're uh, you're a little more long in the tooth than Blair and I. I found I was a lot more patient with my shoe shots in Africa. Here, uh, you know, the, because you are very careful on your animal selection. I think I shot better because I was more relaxed. I was, you yeah. know, you were more patient. You were setting up for the shot, and you were waiting for the right animal. Uh, and it, yeah, because in here you maybe are going for a weekend hunting, and you're like, well, I only have three days out hunting, and then I'm going back to work. It was the having. 10 days dedicated vacation to hunt made it, yeah, you were more relaxed. I shot great because of it. I wasn't like, there's no pressure. So it made yeah. you guys more feel more patient. Yeah. yeah. But I also got to ask, because this is the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories <laughs> podcast. Um, so so what do you guys think of, uh, did the guys serve you any, any cocktails or drinks of notes? No. no. Was there something that, that kind of... We had all. Was you there something drink. you guys cheered in front of the braai every night after you had um, a successful hunt? We had all you can drink beer, so we drank. We were drinking beer the whole time. Yeah. Well, what beer were you drinking? Oh. They Did they give you guys a checklist and asking you what you wanted to drink at certain no. times? No, no, we didn't get that. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, it was all you can drink beer. They had some South African beers, and so then there's some really good wine and stuff too. Yeah, yeah we good good wine, wine with real meals. good wine with meals. I think it's and Blanc is what you, yeah. And then I, I'd like, and see, they're like, oh, well, what do you like to drink? And I said, oh, I like to drink rye. And they're like, oh, rye. And I'm like, yeah, whiskey. And I told that, and they went out and they brought back like a really nice bottle of scotch that I wasn't expecting them to bring back for me to drink. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, do you got like whiskey here? Or, like, I don't like rye. Like, I wasn't like, obviously, like, what do you say rye here in Canada that just means nothing to them, right? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a so Canadianism, they, right? They went out to the liquor store brought me back like, a really nice bottle of scotch. To, like, the, the liquor sip store on. was 80 kilometers away. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man, that was hard work. <laughs> well, well, gents, I think we're, okay, right. we're, we're approaching the, the end of our window, but Ian, as the senior hunter, I, uh, I will give you the slot for the, the parting wisdom about your experience in Africa. Uh, well... It was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity to do with my son. It's a, a father-son thing that was fantastic. We had a, a lot of enjoyment pre-hunt, thinking about it, booking it. What are we going to wear? Like a pair of, you know, females trying to decide what to wear to the yeah, dance. You went out and bought a bunch of safari clothes. Oh, yeah. I, I went to Value Village and bought safari clothes. Did, oh, you, did you get a pith helmet? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, and then you, you have your you have your hunt, and then when you come home, uh, uh, you 
have pictures, you have everything to show, and then it's lasted even uh, until this week past weekend where we were hanging trophies on the wall, and it's been a, a, a it was a, a very very nice way to spend time. And, and you know what? Those uh, those trophies are going to spur conversations for, forever. And um, and what did you say to me, Dad, about a vacation? For the cost of that vacation, it's the same as you and Mum to go to like uh, oh yeah, it would go to like Saint Lucia or something. Two 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 weeks in a, a nice resort it cost us that much, but but the experience is just uh, way better. Yeah. Oh, way better. <laughs> I, I that was my you know I grew up on a farm. Uh, that was I I don't need things too clean or too organized, and that's that was uh, and hunting is just a nice relaxing thing. Well, and I'm sure I I thought hunting. In Africa is beyond my means, and then yeah. I got to go. Yeah. And it, oh, yeah, and it's not. It's, it's extremely feasible. It's the same, yeah. Like as taking a two week vacation down in the Caribbean somewhere, it costs the same. Well, Ian, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the show, Blair. Thanks for having your dad in yeah. to uh, to give us a talk. Um, you know what? Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your stories with us. And uh, you know, I look I look forward to talking more about this offline with you um, again, gents, Blair. Any last words? Not really. I would just highly, highly suggest Namibia hunting to anybody, even if it's like everybody, if you're a hunter in North America, should go hunt Africa once. Uh Yeah, you should. I 100% agree. Well, Ian, next time you're here, maybe we can uh, dig into some more of your uh, your stories about... We growing could, up and hunting in Manitoba. Oh yeah, there's tons of good I can tell good stories, stories about Blair's first hunts. Oh well, shit! We'll save that. that. We'll save that so for another awesome. podcast. We'll save that, that for another podcast. That sounds so awesome. I want to. I want to hear stories about little quirky Blair because uh, I bet Blair <laughs> thirteen year old Blair. All right. Again, I'm your host Mark. I'm joined with my co-host Blair. Great. Yeah, yeah, Blair Boozehound here. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll we'll see you guys on our next show. Thank you. Oh, wait. One last special shout-out. Brooke, awesome, buddy. Thanks for all your assistance in getting this done. Double thumbs up. This is 100% impossible without this gentleman, and we'll, uh, we'll see you all in the next episode.